0: Coming to your galaxy, June 23rd, 2023, Star Wars, a KOTOR story, Bastila, part one, strike.
1: A handful of Jedi made it through. Lord Revan must be their objective. Brace for impact.
2: Why isn't Shan using her battle meditation? Let's remind
0: the Jedi what happens when the
1: weak seek to
0: match metal with the dark
1: lords of the Sith.
0: Sir, from the surviving officer's reports,
1: Lord Revan has gone down with the ship. He's still alive.
0: We are the Old Republic Podcast.
2: Spoiler alert for everything Star Wars Under the Twin Suns.
0: The question is what choice? Rebellions are built on hope.
1: Make ten men feel like a 100 One I'm one with the force, the forces with me.
0: Hello, everyone. We are so excited for today's episode in which we discuss the Phantom Menace from a hero's dreaming perspective and... I guess Brian and I, you know, we wanted to clear the air, and there's been rumors that we are going to plagiarize the Hero's Journey podcast, and we wanted to to tell you, uh, yes, we fully intend to <laughs> copy and plagiarize them. So
2: that's right. Yeah, I, we were lucky enough to have. Uh, Dan and Jeff on the podcast to go through the uh, hero's journey treatment of Knights of the Old Republic. Um, And yeah, this is something we've wanted to do for a little while now, Cassie, is to go through kind of each of the films individually and then, um, you know, together as the the whole trilogy. Um, So today we're going to be, you know, starting at the beginning with The Phantom Menace.
0: Yeah, I mean, the beginning is a perfectly good place to start. I kind of butchered, I was going to quote The Sound of Music, but I'm like, I don't know the sound <laughs> of music enough off the top of my head so those the are comment- alive
2: with the phantom menace i think is, <laughs> is the quote
0: so someone can be a, a sound of music super fan and correct me yeah uh did you have any cool background on the film like any like insights into the box office records or
2: yeah for sure so uh the phantom menace released on may the 19th in 1999 uh, written and directed by George Lucas, of course, um, as we all know, and it was uh, nominated for three Academy Awards, but it lost all three. It was nominated for Best Sound, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Special Effects. Uh, question, Cassia, do you know who won those three awards?
0: I think it was it was The Matrix, wasn't it?
2: That is correct. Yeah, The Matrix, uh, another uh, movie franchise that we both enjoy uh, and Joanna have talked about here. Um, on the podcast and over on the uh, Patreon as well before, but yeah, I lost all three to the Matrix there. So, uh, but I don't know, was that just or not? I mean, the Matrix was uh, pretty groundbreaking cinematically, but uh, going back and rewatching the Phantom Menace, uh, I was reminded just how how good and uh, how good it sounded, how good it looked, um, all those things. So, so definitely warranted those uh, nominations there. And this movie was fast tracking, uh, you know, through the box office. It was a big. I remember back in 1999, it was a big. Push and a big uh, kind of question on everyone's mind who was watching the box office results of whether the Phantom Menace was going to catch Titanic. Um, it, it never did, uh, but it did end up making over a billion dollars uh, worldwide, um, and now it sits at forty-sixth all time on the worldwide box office charts. Um, there are four Star Wars films ahead of it. Uh, that is, episodes seven, eight, and nine, and Rogue One have all made more money than the Phantom Menace. But the Phantom Menace really kind of, you know, blew the other Star Wars films out of the water when it came back. I remember just how, you know, big and epic it was. Uh, Cassia, you, uh, you know, you remember? Yeah, we've talked about it on a, the podcast a couple of times just it's hard to even describe the phantom menace like fever in the world
0: for that summer we would go on family trips and like we would buy like some potato chips or soda you know and like go to some of the fast food chains and like everything was the phantom menace like i want some archaeologist a thousand years in the future to stumble upon this and like be like did they worship the Phantom Menace? I'm confused. There's so much of this merchandise. It took over the world. Uh, even if it didn't beat Titanic, you know, like, it did pretty well for itself.
2: <laughs> it, did, uh, it did pretty well for itself, absolutely. Um, and then there was also a 3D re-release of the Phantom Menace uh, in 2012. Uh, I, I think they were. That. I think they were originally planning to do kind of all of the films in uh, 3D, but that was right around the time that the... Uh, disney lucasfilm uh deal started to happen so that was the only one that got a uh, theatrical release um you did see it i was wondering if you uh, had a chance to make it out to see that
0: yeah and during that time a little bit before that time the prequels were kind of besmirched all the time you know but kind of rewatching it like about 13 years later i was like this isn't actually that bad of a film jar Jar's not that annoying and the pod race Slaps the duel of the <laughs> fates still probably one of the best lightsaber duels and maybe one of like the best cinematic duels in you know movie history
2: yeah absolutely it's a great duel the duel of the fates is, is a fantastic song i think it was uh john williams was uh, definitely snubbed i think in terms of uh his uh not getting nominated for at best score uh because the phantom menace uh Soundtrack was amazing. I remember listening to it back in uh, high school. I was in like a a music theory class. So we, you know, would listen to different music and stuff. And that one played through the auditorium quite a bit uh, around that time when I was in uh, high school. And yeah, I just remember going to see this film and going out after school, you know, kind of every day to, you know, going to Taco Bell and KFC and all those places to try to collect all of the, all the toys and go into the store. And, And like you said, it was just, it was Phantom Menace on everything. Uh, It was it was unbelievable and uh, pretty wild time and excited to be going through and giving it, uh, you know, the hero's journey uh, kind of treatment on this film.
0: Yeah, and kind of looking forward to some other um, episodes we're going to be doing. Uh, We're going to be discussing the Star Wars heresies, interpreting the themes, symbols and philosophies of episodes one, two and three by Paul F. McDonald, kind of to supplement what we do with the hero's journey look into the prequels trilogy and if anyone knows how to get a hold of the author we'd love to have him on the podcast so or you know like if he wants to you know (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: yeah absolutely yeah if anyone uh knows how to get in touch with him that would be great or if anyone knows any uh kind of comparable titles to the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy definitely let us know those down in the comments too because uh you know as we go through all nine of these uh you know, anthology films that we would like to uh, dig into those kind of in this uh, in the same manner as well. So,
0: yeah. And before we deep dive into the hero's journey of the uh, Phantom Menace, we are called the Old Republic podcast and we talk a whole bunch about KOTOR. Uh, So I think maybe we can do a too long, didn't listen. Like, how does (laughs) KOTOR relate to the Phantom Menace? What were some of the things you thought of?
2: Uh yeah, you put this on the outline and I was thinking and I couldn't really think of anything like crazy or uh like monumental of things that happen in the movies. Um I mean we see, you know, kind of Coruscant in the Jedi Temple uh there, which which maybe leads to that uh some some ties that bind a little bit. But um yeah, I really couldn't think of anything you know, within, within the stories too much, Uh, maybe I'm completely overlooking anything, but I think the big takeaway for me was how they link together was you definitely see some of the same kind of uh, thoughts and uh, character design development and uh, things in Knights of the Old Republic, because, you know, this came out in 1991, Uh, Knights of the Old Republic came out in 2003. So definitely it was going to be pulling kind of from, you know, both this and attack of the clones, kind of the, you know, the films that were coming around, around that same time, uh, to give kind of the archetypes for our characters, but um, I don't know, was there anything more specific that I that I missed, or was I completely just uh, drawing a blank here on my uh, Phantom Menace and KOTOR ties?
0: Well, I think KOTOR is at its heart, like, kind of like a love letter to the original trilogy that uh, the production team grew up with, you know, but kind of at the the. Kind of in the behind the scenes, like, The Phantom Menace was the last Star Wars film that came out during its production cycle. And uh, as we get into Attack of the Clones, um, there were some story decisions that were altered to not be as similar to Attack of the Clones. But what I kind of think, like, even though it's like KOTOR feels like an original trilogy-esque story... Um, you can kind of see like some of the inspirations or out like, outright like plagiarism. <laughs> uh, mm. well not plagiarism, but just heavily inspired, you know, like in Kotor by the original trilogy. Um KOTOR seems like it has an original trilogy story, but it's taking place in a prequel trilogy universe, like kind of like with the technology and mm. um mm-hmm. just kind of like you're traversing uh many more uh worlds rather than just like a couple of them and it's kind of fleshed out you have the republic you know and it's like i guess it's four thousand years before everything but it's kind of like in its prime even though it's at war so you kind of get to see the jedi like it's not just a couple jedi couple sith you get to see a whole bunch of jedi fight a whole bunch of sith so that's kind of interesting
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely there's some parallels too. Then with the you know the way they kind of portray the Jedi Council, um, in the game is you know something kind of similar that we see in the Phantom Menace, and you know kind of the different personalities and uh, you know the. I don't know the where the way that they're behaving and are portrayed in the game, I think, is, is pretty similar. You have um, you know, a character like Julie Bindo, who, um, at least in my eyes, I think is modeled pretty closely after kind of the thoughts and ideals of uh Qui-Gon Jin. So I, th- I think that there were um a lot of inspirations uh, you know, from people who are working on the game. Obviously, you know, they had the original trilogy and, you know, kind of the supplemental, you know, what we think of now as like legends uh material. But then once this movie came out, you know got everyone uh, back into the uh, brain of star Wars and what George Lucas was thinking about what star Wars was. So I think that it probably, you know, led to uh, some creative decisions and design decisions and things like that.
0: Oh yeah. And I forgot about Nicole. his dynamic with the exile kind of reminds me of Anakin and Padme. So
2: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. McCall call also hate sand. It gets everywhere. Uh but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wait for that. That's that's not today, uh Cassia. That we're uh Phantom Menace. No no attack of the clones today.
0: We are back we are back here at the Phantom Menace. So uh the Phantom Menace, we open with a title crawl, and it kind of gets right down to it, like taxation controversies are kind of impacting uh, the Republic, this world Naboo uh, is kind of like being blockaded by the Trade Federation, you know, um, and some people say like, oh, taxation, when has that ever been an issue? And I'm like, well, looking at the history of the world, like kind of a lot, you know, and like, mm-hmm. it literally gave us the USA. So, yeah.
2: That's right. Yeah. Taxation uh, gets us right on the hook here for the story, what we're going to be talking about in this uh, Star Wars tale. And yeah, we see our Jedi there that are uh, on to do some uh, trade negotiations and it all goes awry. And that's what gets our story started.
0: Yeah. So the ordinary world, I kind of saw like the ordinary world, like kind of described in the title crawl, like it's not a galaxy at war, but it's just kind of like little like trade taxation negotiations uh some jedi knights are sent by the chancellor for some busy work you know it's not like save the galaxy it's just like deal with this you know and we get to see two jedi qui-gon jinn and his padawan obi-wan kenobi kind of handle or you know not handle the trade federation
2: (laughs) that's right that's right um yeah so step one here the ordinary world now I don't, I don't know if we should address this right off the, the top, Cassia, because I'm interested because you and I have not compared notes on this. Um, we have not. So I am uh, going through my hero's journey timeline uh, with Qui-Gon, actually, as the hero of the Phantom Menace.
0: Well, guess what? So did I.
2: Perfect. See, I knew we were going to be on the same <laughs> page uh, here, hopefully. So now it's just going to be a matter of figuring out how well uh, kind of our sections of the hero's journey uh, lines up, and yeah, for the ordinary world, I think that that's kind of um, you know, here this whole first section, uh, really you know, starting with with the title crawl, obviously, and then uh, kind of through the trade negotiations, they go bad, um, you know, they end up making it down to Naboo and getting the uh, Queen Amidala and crew uh, off planets and on their way to Coruscant. And I think that that whole kind of you know, first section of the film is uh, the ordinary world uh, for Qui-Gon Jinn. I don't think that anything of this is out of the norm for our Jedi Master.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, this is kind of like Act One. Um, You kind of think maybe Qui-Gon thinks it's going to go a certain way. um, But it kind of goes another. um, And we kind of just like, uh, you know, like, we get a look at... um, the first movie of the prequel trilogy. And like you said, the the CGI holds up for 1999. And mm-hmm. I kind of liked it. it was pushing the edge forward uh, while looking different from the original trilogy's look. You know, like with the original trilogy, we had a used and mass-produced technology and it looked very kind of old. A lot of it was falling apart. But uh, with the prequel trilogy you have a galaxy that is free. uh, So you kind of have like more of a crafterly artisan look to the tech, like kind of evoking the 1920s.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything is much more, um, you know, it's not as harsh of, uh, you know, straight lines. Everything is more uh, rounded and curved and ornate. And, uh, you know, definitely in uh, Naboo and, uh, you know, the underwater and otagunga and gungan city um you know everything is is colorful and vibrant and you know really kind of thriving in this you know time i guess of you know peace or near peace you know right as we're getting into kind of this conflict with the trade federation so yeah aesthetically it looked very different but yeah on the rewatch uh this this movie it looks fantastic you know being uh whatever 24 years old uh now at this point so um yeah it really kind of pushed the envelope with uh, the, what could be done and and how the story was going to look and and play out and we kind of see uh the way that those colors and lines transition throughout the uh prequel trilogy um you know, which we'll kind of talk about uh later when we go when we're you know covering the whole of the prequel trilogy and once but yeah definitely in this first installment here going back to Star Wars it definitely had a different look and and feel from the original trilogy,
0: yeah, and some people like maybe couldn't get past that. And like, you know what? Like it's, it's subjective. It's everyone's opinion. Um, I guess I grew up with it and I'm like, this is awesome. So yeah. But, but anyways, kind of getting back to the trade Federation, um, kind of the negotiations kind of go south. They don't really happen at all. Um, and you kind of see the trade Federation try to kill them with like dioxys and droids and, droiki does you know Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um so then like qui-gon and obi-wan are like okay we need to separate and we need to stow away to naboo because um we need to help queen amidala off planet you know or kind of see what's going on there so i kind of saw the call to adventure as uh qui-gon and obi-wan helping queen amidala off planet after the failed negotiations
2: Okay. Okay. Um, I actually have the call to adventure a little late. Um, I kind of see that whole, um, section with the, uh, with the trade negotiations, uh, getting to Naboo, um, you know, meeting Jar Jar going there because throughout the section, I kind of see Qui-Gon as just, you know, being this, uh, master to Obi-Wan's, uh, Padawan, uh, status. So like I said, none of this seems out of the norm for him. It's just kind of a more, uh, you know, teaching and learning, uh, sort of, scenarios for uh, Qui-Gon to uh, be put in here as the as the master of the master student relationship that we have here so I actually have the call to adventure um, which is the initiating incident of the story as the hyperdrive failing on Queen Amidala's ship and forcing everyone to uh, make this detour to Tatooine.
0: Wow yeah that that's so interesting so you kind of mentioned Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's uh... Kind of like you kind of see that uh Master Padawan uh uh kind of dynamic. You see them land on Naboo and um we meet Jar Jar because Qui-Gon saves Jar Jar. And I just want to say that Jar Jar and Ahmed Ahmed Best deserve the world. Like yeah. Uh, and I kind of saw him as like the prequel trilogy's chewy. He's kind of the opposite of Chewie, like, uh, where where Chewie just kind of like would like go like, Grah! like that was the best Chewie impression I think the world. Pretty good, pretty insane. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jar Jar speaks uh Galactic Basic kind of like a little bit differently, kind of like Yoda, you know. Like, uh, Jar Jar speaks a little bit more pigeon Basic, you know, and he's kind of more reptilian, kind of like a like a dinosaur, you know. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I think that uh, Jar Jar is great. Um, you know, especially you know kids who were watching the film. You know, definitely could could identify him and see the fun in him. But I never really really understood why people didn't like him so much. Because I even rewatching it now, um, you know, all these all these years later, um, he didn't feel like it was like overly inserted to things. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it, yeah. I I think that the character modeling. Um, of Jar Jar Binks and the work that Ahmed Best did uh, never got the due uh, that it was deserved. I mean, obviously, you know, everyone then went on to talk about Andy Serkis, you know, performances Gollum as being this groundbreaking thing. But really, you know, it started in 1999 with this character and how amazing it looked and how seamless it looked. Um, and I know that there have been some uh, kind of retooling and updates to the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to uh, to make a case against how good it looked.
0: Yeah, and I it's been nice to see Ahmed Best kind of uh, in in the Mandalorian and everything. Uh, and I wish that, you know, like he got more of a do. Maybe he could be in a an Andy circus thing in the future. Uh, but uh, we kind of see Jar Jar say like, oh, we can go to um, where all the Gungans live. What is that called again? Uh Odagunga. Otogunga. I was gonna I was gonna guess that but I'm like what if I get it wrong <laughs> and after getting like the sound of music thing wrong like I'm like I can't <laughs> fail again. <laughs> so
2: That's right. That's right. Yeah. It is a it is a Hidden City. Um and it, it's really neat. It's a neat design and um you know it it's kind of this very very much a a counter Counterpoint, I guess, to the people of Nabu living up in and in, in these royal palaces and stuff, but you know, it's still very ornate and uh, the round shapes and and stuff like that. So, very kind of kind of symbiotic relationship on one hand, but a very uh, very separate uh, culturally. Obviously, you know, one being you know completely submerged beneath the water is kind of this physical bar- barrier between the two civilizations.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish there would have been more um, done with the. Symbiosis between the the human uh Nubians, you know, and the Gungans kind of living below. We see a little bit of it like at the end, but uh yeah, Gunga is so interesting and Jar Jar was banished uh for being clumsy, but the leader who is portrayed by Brian Blessed, you're supposed to say it in all caps, you know, but um <laughs> He gives them a ride to go through the planet core, and what I was thinking is, does that mean that their planet core is hollow?
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, could be, could be. Um, I suppose. I suppose there's nothing that says that the uh, middle of your planet has to be, uh, full of uh molten lava like ours is. I guess, but um, yeah, I guess it, it must be some sort of hollow. I guess I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, if our if our uh world was hollow, like maybe that could like push travel, you know, forward. But Mm. I I, it was just a thought I had re-watching it. So yeah. Um we we kind of resurface, you know, after some fish and bigger fish situations uh down down there. Uh and we surface into the capital of Naboo, Seed and Naboo kind of looks like Italy plus India and it, it's so beautiful like I'd love to see more of Naboo like in live action in the future.
1: Mhm.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of um uh Italy and I think some of it was filmed also in uh Spain and Madrid Spain as well so I mean there are some places you can go to and uh see there if you ever have the chance and yeah it's absolutely beautiful. I hope we get to go back there and spend some uh, time there and uh, future projects for sure, but, um, but yeah. So you have um, you have your uh, call to adventure as uh, you know, them getting the queen off planet.
0: Yeah, so we we meet Padme, who we think is Queen Amidala and her handmaidens. Um, that's kind of a twist that like it took me a few years. Like I saw this as a kid, like it it went over my head, like. Kira Knightley um, portrays Sabe. Is it Sabe or Sabe?
2: Uh, Sabe, I believe, but all good Star Wars names can be pronounced lots of ways.
0: Many ways, you know, like, so Padme and Sabe, like, it's kind of like a, the hidden fortress twist, you know, like the queen is in disguise, you know, and like Kira Knightley and Pad and I was going to say Padme, but Kira Knightley and uh, Natalie Portman look so similar like with makeup like even as an adult I'm still like I think that's Kira Knightley you know <laughs> yeah so I'm I'm still not sure anyways so
2: yeah that's yeah that's right later in the uh later in the film when they're on Coruscant I've still you know all these years later I still do not know for sure if it's uh Natalie Portman or nightly Knightley um, dressed up as, as the queen going into the Senate, but uh, yeah, could be either for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think like Padme in that situation would be like, yeah, I don't care. Like Sabe, you, you handle that, you know, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, yeah. So what I kind of love about the Phantom Menace is it's so anti-Hollywood. Like, I love it. Um, you have many heroes, Lord of the Rings you have Qui-Gon you have Obi-Wan you have Padme you have Jar Jar later on we'll have Anakin and I think that's all of them like R2 is just a side character right
2: uh R2 is the hero of the story is who I <laughs> uh I all I almost did my hero's journey uh analysis uh for R2 but I I decided not to I decided to stick with uh Qui-Gon um but I no I think you could definitely uh classify R2 as a hero because um it's very important as the ship is leaving uh naboo uh takes some damage and R2 has to go out and save the ship so definitely not an ancillary character definitely a hero um very very pivotal uh character in terms of keeping the ship afloat so to speak and uh getting us to our next destination of uh, tatooine to uh refuel or to mm-hmm. fix to fix the uh, leaking hyperdrive
0: yeah so I, I'm just kidding. I love R2. And like, I, I just was kind of just trying to like (laughs) play a joke and be like, R2 Mm -hmm, doesn't matter. mm -hmm. Right. You know,
2: that's right. No winding me up about R2. Uh, He definitely matters as the hero of the entire saga (laughs) is what we're going to get to at the end of
1: this.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan help uh, Queen Amidala and her crew off planet. And, What I kind of saw is the refusal of the call was the blockade from the Trade Federation. Uh, Sometimes the refusal comes from without, you Mm -hmm, know, the mm -hmm. hero. Um, So those forces are trying to, like, keep them on Naboo. And I kind of saw, like, having to land on Tatooine as, like, the refusal of the call.
2: Okay, okay. Um, Yeah, so as as I mentioned, my... uh... My call to adventure was the hyperdrive failing, uh, which kind of forced us to um, to Tatooine. So my refusal of the call actually then is uh, once everyone lands and gets into Tatooine um, and Qui-Gon is attempting to purchase the parts, um, you know, he tries to pay with Republic credits. Um, Watto is not going to take those. So I saw um, that as potentially the refusal of the call, um, you know, the refusal mm-hmm. for not being able to pay with the Republic credits, but then also you get a, a very vocal refusal of the call from Qui-Gon. Then once they leave the junk shop and Anakin takes them to the Skywalker residence to get out of the sandstorm, uh, basically Anakin uh, point blank, asks him, you know, have you come to free us? And, and Qui-Gon just lays out a straight up, no, that is not why I'm here. Uh, That's uh, that's me refusing this call uh to get you out of here. So that's, That was kind of the uh, section there where I I saw the refusal of the call for Qui-Gon.
0: Yeah, and uh, like you say, uh, they all kind of land on Tatooine, like in the outskirts trying to stay hidden Um, and Qui-Gon is going to go to town. Jarder's coming with him and then Padme also comes because she's curious about the planet and she kind of like hides it behind like the queen is curious, you know, and Qui-Gon's kind of like, okay, um, <laughs> do, you, do you think that Qui-Gon always knew the truth uh, about Padme and Queen Amidala?
2: Um, I suspect that he did, probably. Um, especially from kind of the, uh, the knowing looks later, uh, you know, there, and, uh, even in this front section when, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't even remember the line right now, but um, she says something about the queen, and you know, Qui Gon kind of kind of winds her up and is like, "Well, the queen's not here, right?" Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So, um, <laughs> I think I think that uh, Qui Gon knew uh, pretty much from the start. I think.
0: Yeah, I think Qui Gon's the one person that uh, wasn't fooled by it. We kind of see like Obi Wan and Anakin. Uh, kind of are like what you know, but mm-hmm. I I kind of suspect that Qui Gon knew. So, yeah. um, what's kind of funny about this story is I see Qui Gon as both the hero and the mentor. From our our talk with uh Chris Vogler, you know, like sometimes like that's kind of why I like the Phantom Menace is because it it kind of plays with the hero's journey. Um, it's not just doing it like a straight shot like some characters more than one role you know like one one more than one archetype you know right Mm -hmm. and um because like for meeting with the mentor um i put qui-gon meets anakin
2: okay Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. that's very yeah that's fair for sure um so yeah so step four here meeting with the mentor the hero gains the supplies knowledge and confidence needed to uh, commence the adventure um and yeah you bring up a, a good point especially um you know, and circling back to our conversation uh, with uh, Christopher Vogler, you know, someone can kind of be in, in both roles and especially in something like The Phantom Menace, which was always intended to be part of this trilogy of films. Right. So you have the characters kind of switching in and out as we're trying to tell, you know, this, you know, nine hour narrative and not, you know, just this this first kind of section of the the movie, which is You know, converse to like the original trilogy and a new hope, which is all very self-contained because it was only intended to be, you know, kind of kind of the one film right that, you know, could carry on. But really, it was just telling that one story. But the Phantom Menace really is just serving as one third of the story that uh, George Lucas was trying to tell. So they definitely can go in and out. Um, And I have my meeting with the mentor uh, kind of at the same same thing there. So it's, you know, the heroes gaining the supplies, knowledge and confidence to commence the adventures, So yeah, so I have, you know, at the, at the Skywalkers. So, um, you know, talking to Shmi, uh, seeing Anakin's kind of aptitude for, uh, you know, building C-3PO, uh, fixing the, the pod racer up, uh, taking the uh, midichlorian uh, account there to find out. So I think that in this section and seeing these things, I think that Qui-Gon's mentor is the Jedi prophecy. I think that that is kind of the mentor uh kind of cornerstone that he's leaning on and that and you know kind of putting those things the things that he's learning from Shmi, the things that he's seeing from Anakin and then obviously the the midi there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that's so interesting like you kind of say like Qui-Gon becoming reacquainted with the Jedi prophecy. Um and we never really kind of learned the details of the prophecy, but um I mean like balance of the force, that seems cool, you know, mm-hmm. but the, the funny thing about prophecies, like, you know, in Greek mythology, uh, which I'm most familiar with, you see like sometimes when people hear prophecies like it kind of ruins things for everyone and you try to uh prevent it, you know, like just Read Oedipus Rex, no spoilers, you know, like just see how that works out. But, um, yeah, um, I think like Anakin is the thing that changes the game because I think it would have been a standard adventure, Jedi adventure, if not for Anakin. I think mm-hmm. they would have found a way off planet eventually. Yeah, we see like Anakin, he has like Jedi reflexes and we see him building a droid that will be c3po you know even though soapbox moment i think that anakin should have built r2d2 because you kind of see more of that relationship like uh mm-hmm. between anakin and r2 and then through luke and r2 throughout all the trilogies so like i don't know that that's what i think but that's yeah. not what happened
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah a little aside there i i also uh, agree with that because then you have to make some sort of uh story reason why anakin and r2 were always together and padme and c3po were always together um that they were yeah. wedding gifts and yeah maybe would have made more sense i don't know i don't know for sure uh but but yeah i think that's kind of what what we're learning there and in, in the meeting with the mentor uh section there is he is you know you know kind of introduced to Anakin and and sees uh, this this kid who he can identify as you know part of this prophecy and like I said kind of that prophecy is uh what I see as the mentor uh for qui this that one was a little uh kind of kind of tricky I guess to to pick out like an exact mentor um uh so yeah I'm throwing it back to the uh his uh Jedi uh, training and teachings there.
0: Yeah, Qui-Gon is kind of like a different kind of Jedi. He's not really in sync with the Council, and um, the older I get, I kind of see, like, the the prequel trilogy Jedi are kind of more about, like, kind of worrying about Republic politics, you know, and Mm kind of like having power on Coruscant, being in a high tower, you know, and, like, even though they're aligned with good and trying to do good things, I think they're kind of like lost their focus and misguided and like Qui-Gon's not on the council, but I think he can see more of the picture.
2: Yeah, exactly. He has kind of a, a very uh, wide view of, you know, the teachings and, and the way that he's interpreting that. And um, that's why I kind of saw it as, as his teachings. I also kind of see Shmi as a mentor uh, type of a figure um, in the way that she's speaking about Anakin and, you know kind of kind of his backstory and uh the things that he's uh capable of and how he's different you know than other kids and stuff so i see her kind of as a as a mentor too um but that's where i kind of left left that and then we're getting into uh kind of the the fun parts of the the story here is we're getting to see uh young annie in action getting the uh, pod racer fixed up and uh trying to hopefully get the uh, crew off of the planet here back on back on track
0: yeah some people think the pod race slows the film down, but I'm like, um, did you watch it? Did you have fun? Like, because it's awesome. You know, it's kind of evoking like uh, if you watch Ben-Hur and this, and it's like, oh, I I can see that like Lucas was, you know, inspired by, by Ben-Hur, you know, uh, which mm-hmm. would go on to inspire, you know, like parts of the book of Boba Fett. You know, I almost said the Mandalorian, but it's the book of Boba Fett. <laughs>
2: That is a that is an easy mistake to make. Yeah, the the pot race is amazing. Um, I don't, I don't know why people don't like it. It's a it's a visual and audible feast. Um, it's so much fun. I don't. Yeah, I love it. That was that was the whole reason I wanted to go see the Phantom Menace in 3D when I went and saw it. Was I said to myself that the pod race is going to be amazing in 3D, and it was. So,
0: yeah, and it's kind of like an interesting beginning film. It's not like an origin story, like casino royale or batman begins like i said it's kind of very anti-hollywood like the movie could have started after the failed negotiations uh with like qui-gon and uh obi-wan like landing in the spacecraft on naboo or like as they escape the blockade or it even could have like started when they got to tatooine but it started where it did and i think it's kind of like to get you into this like it's not a galaxy at war, like kind of this normal thing. And then like Anakin is kind of the thing that changes, like I said, like changes the game, this of mm-hmm. this movie and the Padres kind of makes it different. Like, that's why I really respect the Phantom Menace is because it's not just like, even though like it echoes the original trilogy, you know, like it's not just like kind of like a carbon copy.
1: hmm.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anakin in this first film is is a catalyst. Um, and obviously, that's why, um, you know, at least both you and I thought of Qui-Gon as being the hero of this first story. It's not really Anakin's uh, story yet. He is kind of this this ember that's going to ignite the rest of this trilogy. But uh, that's that time has not come yet. And it's important to kind of see how that how that happened, I guess, um, yeah. is more important than, you know, starting the film uh, with with young Anakin there.
0: Yeah, and with the pod race, it's just, it's just like a fun race. You can kind of see like, uh, I mean, to an extent you see it in American Graffiti, like uh, George Lucas's love of racing. Like he could have been a race car driver if things had gone differently, you know. But I'm surprised that Lucas never did just a, a movie about racing. But maybe mm-hmm. like The Phantom Menace is the closest thing we get to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that was the, (laughs) that was the burden of star Wars that, you know, kind of locked you into telling these stories and maybe this, yeah, this was his, uh, his love letter to, to racing. And yeah, the pod, the pod race is super fun. It makes up kind of, uh, the next couple steps here of, uh, my hero's journey, uh, section as we, as we go through, I think it's, you know, really important to, uh, to this journey that Qui-Gon's on as well. So,
0: yeah. So when Anakin wins the pod race, I have that as crossing the first threshold because then the ship is fixed and Anakin is free. So um, the party, you know, is free to go to Coruscant and like in Anakin's uh, case, he literally is free. (laughs)
2: Okay. Okay. Um I actually have the Padres broken down here into a couple of sections oh. uh for for mine so uh step number 5 is crossing the first threshold the hero commits wholeheartedly to the adventure. So I actually have um Qui-Gon's crossing the first threshold is him uh gambling on Anakin and risking the ship. That's him kind of committing uh to the fact that he wants to get Anakin. Uh, off planet, he sees uh, him kind of as this uh, chosen one uh, sort of figure. So I think that his first threshold is is making that gamble on Anakin and risking the ship. And then uh, step six, which is test allies and enemies. The hero explores the special world, faces a trial, and makes friends and enemies. Um, I think that the test is the pod race itself, uh, because it's testing Qui-Gon's faith in, you know, kind of that Jedi, uh, prophecy, his faith in, uh, Anakin. And then, you know, we're seeing kind of everyone come together. So we see Jar Jar, we see Padme, we see Shmi, we see Qui-Gon, um, you know, all coming together in that little like pod thing that they're sitting in, uh, to watch the race. And we're getting kind of the, the enemies here of this section of, uh, you know, Watto trying to go back on, on the, uh, the wager that they made, and then obviously Sabalba is the enemy here through the pod race.
0: Oh, so interesting. Now that you say that, it's kind of making me want to change my uh my six uh test allies and enemies answer slightly, but I'm just gonna commit to what I wrote down, <laughs> you know? Okay,
2: uh, okay. There you go.
0: Yeah. I guess would you say we've made it to the end of act 1?
2: I would say yeah. I mean, what a way to end the first act then with a really fun pod race for sure. So, yeah, I think yeah. that is that's going to wrap up the uh the first act
0: of our story here. Okay. And because we are literally copying the format of the hero's journey podcast, I guess uh at the end of act 1, uh they have a coffee caffeine break. So maybe we can take a break and all get, you know, uh, a soda, and uh, you can get some coffee, and then we can talk about what we've been watching, reading, and playing. How does that sound?
2: That sounds great, because I'm always ready for a coffee.
0: All right. Uh, in the Hero's Journey, they're in the Vogler Lounge. Um, we could name it something else, or should we just copy them?
2: <laughs> uh, I think we should call it Nord's Diner to uh, stay with in our uh, KOTOR theme. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kalinord's Diner. Um, he probably has a franchise all over the galaxy. Um, I love Nord. That's right. Sarcasm. But <laughs> yeah, so Brian, um, what have you been watching, reading or playing in your downtime?
2: Uh, I wish I wish that the list was uh, longer, and I really wish that the list included uh, playing Jedi Survivor, because I still have not done that very much. I've only played about a half hour of it. i uh, been doing a little bit of traveling around, and uh, my wife's been traveling. My parents are in town, so uh, really it's just been a matter of keeping up on some stuff. So I've been uh, reading through some of the Star Wars heresies that we uh, brought up at the beginning of the show, so I'm working my way through that, um, and then just trying to keep up on uh, some TV shows going on. I've got a lot... Uh, but really good shows that I'm watching right now. So uh, succession, yellow jackets, uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel and love and death. have all got uh, going on right now. So luckily for me, uh, Mandalorian ended uh, just in time for these other things to start, so I can keep keep caught up here on some uh, TV watching and uh, you know just doing the movies. I'm getting ready to watch uh, Lawrence of Arabia tonight for the drink oh. movies so I'll be I'll be doing that to cover and uh, so that should excited. be good. I haven't I haven't seen that in a long time, so um, I'm not I'm not looking forward to the three and a half hours. If I'm being completely honest, <laughs> but that's okay i've got my i've got my coffee here, so i think i'll I'll be able to uh get through it so uh what about you Cassio what have you been uh doing uh doing a lot of reading i would guess uh a little bit of movie watching but what have you been getting into
0: yeah, so i'm gonna be taking up drawing again uh i oh, i did cool. some drawing in high school and i'm gonna restart that so that's a that's a fun kind of hobby to reignite um I've been reading daily rituals. How artists work, I finished that. It's by Mason Curie, and now I am reading the the follow up, which is called uh daily Rituals Women at work so the first oh, cool. book kind of like didn't include as many uh female artists so then uh in the second book, kind of as a corrective, he decided to just like focus on women because uh sometimes like women have to like uh Women who are creatives have to like negotiate like marriages, uh, children, misogyny, a lot of other things, you know. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it's just kind of interesting to kind of get that mirror, you know, like in daily rituals, like got me curious about like kind of creating a schedule that works for me, like, because uh, post corona, you know, like, uh, it kind of like blew up my schedule and I'm like, I want to have a schedule again. So it got yeah. me thinking about that. Um, and then I haven't really been playing anything, but I've heard the Zelda new Zelda game is mm. good. And Jedi survivor is excellent from what I've heard. And I'm about to wrap up my, my James Bond watch Uh just have specter and no time to die to watch. And, uh, after James Bond watches over, uh, I'll kind of re-watch the Indiana Jones films leading up to Dial of Destiny, which comes out in June, June 23rd, I believe. Or is it the 30th? No, it's June 30th. Um, and kind of before I, uh, re the Indiana Jones films, I re-watched Secret of the Incas and um okay yeah it seems like spielberg and lucas were very inspired by that film but they made a even better film in response to it
2: yeah that's right yeah taking taken inspiration yeah definitely excited to uh get back into indiana jones i'm probably going to try to get through uh rewatch on those here over the next kind of month as we're uh, getting ready for dial of destiny to to come out and uh, yeah, that's a, that's impressive that you made it through all of the uh, Indiana or the all of the uh, James Bond films. So uh, that is a uh, hats off to you uh, getting through all those because you've done it uh, pretty quick, I would think so.
0: Yeah, so I don't know, James Bond, uh, the 007 series, like, it's just like a fun series to get into, like, you get to kind of see, like, how entertainment has changed, how the world has changed over 60 Sixty years, sixty plus years, you know.
2: Well, let me ask you this, uh, Cassia, because I kn- I know that um that you still got a uh, Spectre and uh, No Time to Die to get through, and I th- I think you've probably seen um, at least No Time to Die, um, but what about uh going back like to the beginning? Are there are there any like assumptions you had about James Bond that that were turned on their head, or were there things that you were su- surprised you that you liked about James Bond, or uh what or what are your takeaways? I guess now that you've been back through these,
0: I. I'd always heard about Sean Connery, but i have never really seen all of his films except for like diamonds are forever. And I think like uh, in that film, like it's the last James Bond film he did. And he was kind of just there for the paycheck, but to kind of see some of the, his earlier films were uh, the double Oh seven, you know, like formula was being created. I'm like, Oh, Sean Connery, he looks, you know, like, okay you know, um, cause we don't want to objectify anyone. Um, but all of the bonds I think have their different strengths and weaknesses and, uh, all of them have like one really good standout film, uh, for me, like Sean Connery's film, his best film is, uh, from Russia with love, uh, which is a weird, you know, title to say in 2023. Um, But uh, I mean, George Lazenby only had On His Majesty's Secret Service, but I think that film, like when it came out, people were like, oh, it's not Sean Connery and Lazenby's a bit wooden. But I think it's it's a good film, you know, like uh, the some of its parts are are excellent. Uh, And I thought like The Spy Who Loved Me, you know, was was excellent uh, from Roger Moore. I think it was his best and I love the living daylights. Like I would love a James Bond sock from the London <laughs> sock exchange uh, that have the cello snow chase, you know, on it. Um, oh, and then Pierce Brosnan's golden. I, I thought it was excellent. Uh, kind of like post cold war. Like I think they brought bond into the new age pretty well. And Daniel Craig, um, I would say his best film is probably Casino Royale. Uh, I thought they all brought excellent things to, you know, uh, the franchise.
2: Awesome, yeah, no, that's that's great. I am very excited. Like I said, that you got to go back and uh, get through all those, and very impressive in the in the time you got through all of them. So very cool, very <laughs> cool.
0: All right, shall we dive back into? the phantom menace and enter act 2
2: That's right. Yeah, let's uh let's get into act 2. Let's uh the pod racer has pulled across the finish line and let's uh let's get back to it.
0: Okay, so Anakin has won the pod race. The ship will now be able to be repaired with the proper Nubian parts and Anakin is free, but the downside is uh Shimmy wasn't able to be freed. And he's going to have to leave behind his mother.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Qui Gon uh, said that he wasn't here to here to free the slaves, but yeah, kind of learning about uh, who Anakin uh, could potentially be and who he, you know, saw in Anakin. I guess, um, you know, and uh, you know, drove and motivated Qui Gon to uh, get Anakin free and uh, tells him and his mother that uh, he's going to be going with them back to Coruscant to uh, begin his uh, Jedi training. Uh, which is yeah. actually what I have, which is actually what I have there for my um my step seven, the approach to the inmost cave. But I don't know. Uh did we cover your uh step six yet,
0: Cassia? So my step six for test allies and enemies is Coruscant, because we we kind of see uh Padme go through some political tests uh with some mentoring from Palpatine, you know, quote unquote mm-hmm. mentoring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Anakin being tested by the Jedi Council, and we kind of see, like, uh, Obi-Wan, like, maybe, like, kind of, like, saying, like, why can't you just do things like the Council does, Qui-Gon? Like, like, I do feel ready, like, to kind of take the step into knighthood, you know, but you kind of just see, uh, the different heroes kind of grapple with things. Um, you kind of see Anakin, um, He's free, but what is he there to do? You know, like if he's not gonna be a Jedi, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of like get introduced to more characters and and I mean it's up to the viewer to decide who allies and enemies are. Like we don't know
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the viewer might know like Palpatine ends up becoming Emperor Palpatine, but uh the characters don't know that yet. So I kind of just like for step six, put course on.
1: Okay.
2: Oh, okay. So, wow. So you, uh, you jumped well ahead of me there. Cause I obviously, as I mentioned, had, uh, you know, kind of the actual pod race as being, uh, step six. So uh, so that's interesting. That's interesting that you propelled it, uh, that far forward then. So, um, let's, uh, let's talk about the approach to the innermost, uh, cave then here is uh, step seven. I'm, I'll go ahead and, uh, I'll lead this one off because mine is still still way back on Tatooine, so Approach the Innermost Cave, the hero nears the center of the story and the special world. Um, like I said, I kind of ad- identified um, Tatooine um, as the, the special world that Qui-Gon is on, so I think that his approach to the innermost cave is when he's telling uh, Anakin that he's been freed, you know, thus separating him from his mother. So I really kind of view um, kind of the inmost cave as as kind of this, uh, this Skywalker home and uh, more importantly, then kind of the the inner feelings of of Anakin, you know, really kind of diving into uh, the emotional <laughs> Uh, you know know, quandary that uh, Anakin's going to be having to deal with you know for the remainder of the of the saga you know basically at that but I I view kind of that that point of you know telling Anakin that he was going to be taking him away from his mother is the approach to the inmost cave
0: wow that that's so interesting but I respect it you know and that's the fun thing about like heroes journeys like we all kind of uh view things with our own eyes and our own uh backgrounds and um Uh, leaning so like we we can everyone can kind of see themselves uh in the in the same movie and like kind of come to different conclusions so Mm -hmm. yeah
2: yeah absolutely because i yeah i I placed a bulk of uh of mine there because i actually have you know kind of the you know the section on uh coruscant coming you know far later and and my uh uh, my storytelling here so um as you mentioned everyone kind of gets off of uh uh, or we get the uh, get the ship fixed right and uh, everyone's about ready to leave tatooine but not before we uh encounter uh another enemy uh by the name of darth maul who we've been teased uh with a couple of times you know leading up to this section but uh you know kind of comes out of nowhere on his uh jazzy little uh sith motorcycle and uh comes in and uh qui-gon and darth maul have their first kind of encounter there uh which is what i saw as. um my ordeal step eight, the hero faces the greatest challenge yet and experiences death and rebirth. So uh, kind of that first face off with Darth Maul and then narrowly escaping, kind of jumping up onto that ship platform uh, and falling down to his back before um is able to kind of sit up and introduce Anakin to Obi-Wan. Um, so I saw kind of, kind of that fight as the ordeal. Um, and then him going kind of in that uh, laid down posture um, as his death and then sitting back up to introduce, uh, you know, uh kind of kind of his prize of this section, uh being Anakin to introduce him to Obi-Wan who would go on to be his master, you know, through the through the story is uh the ordeal.
0: Huh. Maybe I maybe I should like slow my horses down. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah, like there are some interesting things happening in the prequel trilogy and I think it like took um me reading the hero with a thousand faces to fully you know, kind of understand where Lucas was coming from. And, like, you kind of see, like, in The Hero with a Thousand Faces, like, Joseph Campbell, when he was writing it, it was, like, 49. um, And, like, in that time, like, Freud was really seen and inspired a lot of, like, the culture. um, the, Like, so, like, you saw a lot of things through a Freudian lens at that time. Like, even, like, Flannery O'Connor's fiction, like, kind of, like, mentions like Freudian thought you know but one of the things that is kind of brought up you know not that like I believe you know in like all of Freud's teachings and stuff but sometimes it does appear in fiction and it is interesting you know it's not a one-for-one for for real life but like uh, the Campbellian uh, influence I saw in The Phantom Menace is kind of like inspired by the Freudian stuff you know like when Anakin is separated uh, from his mom, he kind of imprints on Padme, who's like an older female than he is. Uh, and uh, I mean, we kind of see that dynamic continue uh, in Attack of the Clones. And I guess why you could maybe say like it's romantic, maybe it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of something interesting that like reading the hero's journey, uh, uh, I- or not the hero's journey, the hero with a thousand faces. Like I was like, Oh, okay. Like I can see where Lucas was kind of going with Anakin a little bit better.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. It it makes, uh, it makes all of those uh, kind of decisions, uh, you know, make more sense if you're looking at it through the lens of something, um, you know, like the, the hero with a thousand faces to to see why he decided to kind of send him down this path. The, uh, the, that you know we're accompanying him on uh, throughout the film to see how how the fall eventually is is going to happen uh th- through the story which you know on one hand is you know inevitable obviously because we know where uh Anakin slash Darth Vader uh ends up so really the it's it's a it's a journey of getting him to that point and a journey of you know figuring it out what what pushed him to that point
0: yeah it is interesting to see like it's kind of what the jedi demand of Anakin I think that kind of puts him into the negative headspace. He kind of reaches in attack the clones. Like, I'm not going to like say the Jedi were a hundred percent at fault, but like kind of separating Anakin, who was like a loving kid from his loving mother when he's, when he's like a young kid, nine, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. that's not going to be good for him. And then kind of telling him like, uh, like about the Jedi prophecy But kinda not believing in him, you know, it's gonna like kinda just make him feel like he has a chip on his shoulder, um, and like have something to prove and like kinda be arrogant, kinda a la, you know, like some of the characters like maybe like Achilles, you know, from Mm -hmm. the Iliad, but can you tell? I'm really excited to talk about Attack Echoes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, for sure. And that that'll be a fun one to dissect uh, yeah. too, because there's a lot of uh, kind of overlapping story between between the characters. But um, yeah. so you you'd said that uh, getting to Coruscant was your your test allies and enemies. Then so where, what what uh, is the uh, the innermost cave? What do you see as representative of that then, Cassia or Step Seven? Uh,
0: my Step Seven, um approach to the inner roast cave is kind of like the battle of Naboo. Um, because like they have to go back to where they kind of like the story started, you know, like you see like Amidala is like allying with the, with Gungans. There's like a, everywhere you can think of, there's a battle, you know? Um, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the good guys are kind of making their stand, uh, like with the Gungans, the the Nubians, and theed, and in the against the uh, droids, like kind of in the fields, you know. So that's what I kind of saw as approach to the innermost cave.
2: Okay. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. That ma- that makes a uh, that makes a lot of sense to have that final battle, which is you know kind of that big um, last third of the the film. I actually don't um, even have the the battle for Naboo as um, one of my steps, other than the the uh, Darth Maul um uh Qui-Gon fight at the uh the end of the film but uh we're gonna have to wait uh to get into that with me uh for sure so um as I would mentioned I I saw the approach was you know talking to to Anakin and his mother uh the separation there and then the ordeal being that face off with Darth Maul as everyone's getting ready to uh leave uh you know planets and head back to head back to Coruscant uh so um I guess we'll just, we'll uh, stick with you here to uh, allow me some time to catch up. Then uh, what about uh, the ordeal? If, um, if your approach to the innermost cave is the battle for Naboo, um, where is, where does that leave your ordeal then?
0: So when the battle of Naboo gets more complicated, I saw eight as the ordeal, you know, the duel of fates mall shows up and that kind of separates Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan from the group. Um, and I just love the song duel of the fates. like. When I was writing my notes, I just put John Williams with lots of hearts around it. Like, that's what I feel (laughs) about it, you know? And then you see the Nubian fighters uh, in space uh, trying to fight against the Trade Federation, but there's, like, some shields, you know? Uh, So they're Mm -hmm. not really able to make much of an impact. And then you kind of see, like, the Gungans fighting the droids, you know? But it's not going well for them. So that's where I saw the, the ordeal.
2: Okay, okay. Um... Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's great. Yeah. And I'm still, uh, um, then uh, with the ordeal, then uh, you get to step number nine, uh, which is the reward for uh, going through the ordeal, more or less the reward, the hero experiences, the consequences of surviving death. So, um, as I mentioned, my my ordeal was that initial uh, confrontation with with Darth Maul. Uh, so I think that he the reward for Qui-Gon here um, for surviving the ordeal um, is it's kind of a, a threefold here. So uh, he gets to introduce Anakin to Obi-Wan, which we know um. Which we know, as the viewers, is going to be very, very important, as uh, he's going to be the one being his master. So, um, but I thought that that was uh, that was uh, one of the one of the one of the the threefold sections there. Uh, he we learn or Qui Gon learns that there is a Sith out there, or someone is at least uh, trained kind of in the uh, the arts of being a Sith, so he gets the knowledge, that's uh, one of the rewards, and then uh, kind of the the ultimate reward here uh, for surviving that is he's able to take Anakin uh, back to Coruscant and present Anakin to the Council as uh, you know, at least in Qui-Gon's eyes anyway, as the Chosen One.
0: It's just cool, the first time we're doing kind of like a hero's journey, just us, you know, like uh, kind of just seeing like where we kind of intersect, where we differ, um Mm -hmm. maybe you can argue about it like and i'll be like r2 stupid and like (laughs) some clickbait stuff going on or something but um just kidding i would never do that r2 that's Um, right that's uh, (laughs)
2: that's, that is uh that is a bridge too far for sure
0: yeah one thing like i was kind of hit by like seeing coruscant you know um because this is like the first time coruscant is seen in a star wars movie you know um Besides, like the besides, like the little snippet you can see in like the updated Return of the Jedi fanfare at the end. I don't know if you've ever seen Metropolis, but like when I saw Metropolis, I'm like, oh, I understand what they were trying to make Coruscant look like now.
2: Yeah, with the with the ships kind of in single file going through the air. Uh, yeah, absolutely the the entire planet is one big city, uh, as we learned. And yeah, <laughs> Coruscant, it, it looks really cool. You know, it's a, is a place we kind of kind of heard about and talked about and other, uh, legend stuff. So to see it, uh, come to life and then, yeah, it looks glorious. I mean, as they're coming in landing and, uh, you know, kind of the, the digital effects of that. And, uh, them there's that beautiful shot of, uh, was it Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan going out onto that balcony while Anakin oh, is the uh, there in yeah. front of the, uh, in front of the, uh, council chamber and stuff like that so yeah just absolutely uh staggering uh visuals and then to see uh you know kind of all of those pods that they're in in the senate chambers and and stuff like that so yeah it just had this huge kind of scale about it and even though uh we end up seeing more of it obviously and um you know attack of the clones and uh revenge of the sith but you know even here kind of in this in this first one you get a you get a really good sense of kind of the the scope and the busyness i guess of the city at least
0: Maybe the movie does slow down a bit on Coruscant, but I think it is kind of necessary to see, like, Anakin rejected by the Jedi Council. And you kind of see, like, why we can't just have, like, a diplomatic solution, you know, um, Mm -hmm. to the situation on Naboo. Um, I think, like, where the prequels shine is when Ian McDermott is the center of political story uh and we see that a little bit more in attack of the clones and in revenge of the sith like i think like ian mcdermond is the best part of the prequels political story and i think Mm -hmm. the actor they had for Valorum maybe just didn't quite understand what they're going for um but like i just think like ian mcdermond like kind of hits the notes uh the best in the political story.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The, and the political section is is really great. And we get to see a lot of really fun stuff with uh, Pame in this section as well, um, you know, kind of learning about her own political ideals and the way she feels about uh, her constituents back on Naboo and stuff. Um, you could almost do a Hero's Journey analysis of uh, padme as the hero mm-hmm. of the phantom menace uh that wouldn't be that uh, far out of the uh, realm of possibility i don't think and uh, especially we're seeing a lot of her journey uh play out to this section as uh we're seeing kind of the decisions uh, she's making and then ultimately you know going back to naboo and uh unifying uh these two kind of uh races of people on the planet and uh things like that so
0: yeah it is interesting i just want to say this like I'd forgotten they made Yoda for the Phantom Menace CGI. Like that was kind of a later edition they did. <laughs> so That's right.
2: I I do miss Puppet Yoda. Puppet Yoda was was pretty good. But
0: Yeah. And also I just wanted to um further alienate some of our listeners and say like if Medichlorians were mentioned in a new hope, they'd be classic and beloved. But because they're mentioned here, they're maligned and discarded. But we did hear about M count, I think, in the Mandoverse shows. So, oh, yeah, that's um, right. All is not lost. So,
2: all all is not lost. Mitaclorians are are still alive and well and uh, kicking. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I yeah, it's uh,
1: <laughs>
2: it's up for debate. I think that I think that they're fine. There are a lot of ways to explain a thing uh, when you don't uh, necessarily have all the facts about a thing. So everything is true from a certain point of view. Um, as Obi-Wan teaches us. And, you know, maybe maybe Obi-Wan and Yoda didn't want to talk about midichlorians anymore because the last time they did, uh, that kid grew up to be Darth Vader. So maybe just, uh, you know, sweep those midichlorians under the rug. We don't need to tell Luke everything. You know? Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it would have been over Luke's head. Maybe if uh, Leia had been there on Dagobah, they probably would have told her because she probably would have understood. She would have understood,
0: <laughs> you know? But I think, like, the midichlorians, uh, it it's kind of like maybe talking, like, IQ tests, you know like you can measure those like someone's like intelligence I don't even know what IQ stands for so like you can you can just lower my IQ I guess but um oh, wow.
2: 10 points deducted
0: yeah um so it's like maybe looking at IQ it's like you can test those things but is the test fully accurate and taking into, into consideration like someone's work ethic like where they come from you know like all that, like, and the the Jedi and the prequels are kind of like, like we said, like, they're good, but they're kind of misguided, you know? So, like, maybe having the emphasis on, like, standardized testing, you know, um, rather than thinking about the spiritual truths, you know, the force, the right. living force, like, that's kind of what got them into the problem, I think.
2: Absolutely, absolutely so uh yeah so i i mentioned my my reward was uh it was basically you know like i said anakin meeting obi-wan uh we've learned of the sith presence and uh is able to present anakin to the council then uh so what is your reward uh then cassia i um, mean you said the ordeal was kind of this uh battle for um you know battle for naboo and um you know the ordeal is that first face off or the kind of the, the the duel of the fates uh what's the reward then
0: uh for me uh the reward is the trade federation control ship is destroyed uh when anakin uh shoots it
2: okay okay yeah i i can see that as yeah being being a reward for the for the for the story for sure i don't know um i don't know that i see that as particularly being a reward for Qui-Gon, if he's meant to be the the hero of the story um but i could definitely see yeah how that would be a reward for um for the Phantom Menace for the for the film and our group of heroes as a whole,
1: definitely.
0: Yeah, it kind of changes uh, the fates of uh, Padme leading her party uh, to the Thede Palace, and we see things get better for Jar Jar uh, when the droids kind of shut down. Awesome. Yeah. So, that is the end of Act 2. Do you know what that means?
2: Uh, Well, if we're if we're sticking true to this uh, guideline, it means that it is time to put down my coffee cup and to pick up a cocktail glass and a mocktail glass because uh, I think it's time for a beverage. Yeah.
0: So we'll take a quick break and we'll surprise each other because we didn't compare notes on our cocktails and mocktails, but we will be sure to describe them in detail so uh, listeners at home can can make whatever they choose.
2: That's right. We'll be right back.
0: Okay. Are you there?
1: No. Okay. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Should we start with the mocktail or the cocktail?
2: Um, we can start with the... We can start with the mocktail. Sure.
0: Okay. So... If it sounds like I'm out of breath, it's because I ran down the stairs because I was so excited. Um, <laughs> I didn't spill anything, so... Well, that's good. That's a good thing. You know? So... I hope the sentence isn't too jarring, but today I made the jar jar and I'm drinking it from Ooh, a jar. Uh, so in a way <laughs> you could say I have a jar, 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 you know,
2: a jar, 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 jar cubed.
0: Yeah. Not to be confused with din jar and, you know, who kind, mm. whose mask kind of looks like a, or I guess it's more of a helmet, like looks like a jar head, but this is a mocktail. I'm not quite up to your level. I have improved from, you know, my days as a kid when I'd be be like, oh, what about chocolate milk with Pepsi? Is that good? (laughs) Spoiler alert. It's not. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's Um, amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So um, for the Jar Jar, I wanted to just kind of rewatching this. I'm like, Jar Jar deserves the world. So I decided to make something that kind of reminded me of Jar Jar. So I have like one half Mongo Mango Juice, which is I think Langer's brand. And I ended up choosing that because I I watched uh the 1980 Flash Gordon movie and they have a planet named Mongo in that. And Flash Gordon is one of the one of the stories that influenced Star Wars. So I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. kind of like at the beginning we can like kind of harken back to that uh flash gordon uh lineage so mongo mango so it's half mongo mango juice and half grapefruit juice also from langers topped with a nice uh roses sweetened lime juice okay. and i decided to just commit and be like i'm drinking this out of a jar because it's summer you know <laughs> so yeah, yeah.
2: No, absolutely. I like that. I like um I like the mango and then I like you yeah, get the a little bit of kind of that bitter citrus from the grapefruit juice and and some lime. Yeah, that sounds that sounds lovely. It sounds like it would be a really good in the summertime. You could probably turn that into like a like a soda if you wanted to put in some, you know, club soda, sparkling water, something like that to uh, to give it a little bit of effervescence. But yeah, I like the, I like the jar, the jar 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 in a jar.
0: <laughs> uh what about you?
2: All right. So I am mixing up a cocktail here uh, for our beverage break, and I am making a Qui-Gon gin and tonic. Uh, because it's a really fun play on words, and this one is extra special. Uh, because it's going to be green, just like Qui Gon's uh lightsaber, uh, which is about to be uh pretty important uh for my part of the story here. So we're just mixing up a regular gin and tonic. It's one and a half ounces of gin, uh, three ounces of tonic water, roughly. Uh, but we're going to add uh, three quarters of an ounce of Midori, which is a Japanese uh melon liqueur. It's made from like honeydew melon and uh, some other uh, Japanese uh, fruits. There, um, it's. Really very, very lovely. It's very light in flavor, but it is real, real green. Uh, So it's going to make your cocktail a nice kind of bright uh, green color in the glass. And then we're going to garnish that with you can use a malaron fruits if you want. or if you don't have that, a nice slice of lemon Uh, and you're going to be good to go. But a Qui-Gon gin and tonic. Um, I almost did a Darth Maul uh, cocktail, but then I was like, you know, if Qui-Gon is the hero of this movie, he needs his own cocktail. Uh, Qui-Gon gin and tonic.
0: Oh, that's a that's a clever pun. And I'll be sure to post my jar jar jar, you know, on our discord and to our friends at the Heroes Journey podcast. And I'm sure you'll post your Qui-Gon gin and tonic. But yeah, so now that we're all bevied up, you know, I guess we we begin act three.
1: That's
2: right. Uh, Yeah, let's get back into uh, the Phantom Menace. We'll get this uh, get this party wrapped up and uh, begin act three and act three begins with the road back. Uh, so number 10, the road back, the hero returns to the ordinary world or continues to an ultimate destination. So, um, I'm still, I'm still well behind you here, um, in the story, Cassie, I'd mentioned my reward was, you know, uh, basically presenting Anakin, uh, to the council. So my road back for Qui-Gon is, uh, you know, his road back to the ordinary world. And I viewed his ordinary world as, um, you know, really helping out doing his Jedi stuff. So I think returning to Naboo to learn the identity of the Sith. Is the road back for Qui Gon Jin? Uh, but uh, you're you're way ahead of me. So what are you viewing as the road back?
0: Um. So I kind of saw the road back as Qui Gon's death. You know, and because he's the hero of the Phantom Menace, but his his role as a corporeal being of flesh and blood, you know, ends uh, in the duel of the fates when he dies and then we kind of see obi-wan kind of struggle as he steps up to try to defeat maul um and i kind of saw the road back as maul dying i think i might be a little bit Mm. too far ahead but um what is your road back
2: uh yeah so yeah so i think that the road back yeah is just returning to naboo with uh yeah with uh, Queen Amidala and and contingency and uh they get sent back you know specifically from the Jedi Council to return to Naboo and to learn uh the identity of this uh this alleged Sith that we've had this run in. So I think that the the road back for Qui-Gon is is going back to um like I said what I saw his his ordinary world and and going back to Naboo there. Um
0: Interesting. Yeah. That, um and then, like, for my resurrection, uh, step 11, um, I saw it as Anakin is made a Jedi. Uh, Yoda is, is saying, like, we're not feeling good about this, but it was Qui-Gon's dying wish, and he's dead. So <laughs> we are making Anakin a Jedi. And we are going to train him, so have fun with that
2: anakin's a jedi now uh your master's dead uh good luck with that uh spoiler it's uh not going to go great uh for (laughs) any of us uh for sure um yeah so so uh for my resurrection uh the hero experiences a final moment of death and rebirth so they are pure when they re-enter the ordinary world so uh for my resurrection um i have here is uh when qui-gon is uh you know, is defeated by Darth Maul, um, but is reborn again by joining in with, you know, into the force says, as, uh, force spirits, force ghost, uh, So that is, uh, kind of his rebirth. Um, and he's able to, able to move on, um, knowing that anakin is going to be trained um and you know with the with the faith that he is the chosen one so uh that's kind of that's kind of what i saw as the resurrection kind of that final final moment of his actual like physical death and then uh rebirth not in not in a sense of he's able to to carry on uh with his story but he's able to move on to that final uh kind of end goal for the jedi which is uh becoming one with the force
0: yeah so in a way like when a jedi dies like they're kind of able to transcend death. I, Qui-Gon, to an extent, he didn't complete his, um, I guess, Jedi Ghost Force Training DLC, you know, but, like, through him, <laughs> right. Yoda and uh, Obi-Wan get to as well. And, like, eventually, somehow, like, we see, you know, Qui-Gon spoilers, you know, in Kenobi, you know, um, but yeah, so like, even though he's defeated on one plane, like he does influence, we feel his presence, you know, in Attack of the Clones and, uh, Revenge of the Sith, for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that was, that was kind of what I saw as the, as the rebirth, like I said, so he's, you know, kind of reborn as, uh, you know, being one with the, with the force, with the, uh, ultimate knowledge then that, Uh, Anakin would go on to be trained because um, he basically has that conversation with Obi-Wan right at the end of the the duel of the fates here. You know, Obi-Wan is uh, kind of holding him there and, uh, you know, uh, Qui-Gon makes him promise that he'll that he'll teach the boy. And, uh, you know, that's that's exactly what happens. So uh, kind of at that point, then I think that his, um, you know, kind of mission is accomplished, which leads right into then my return uh, with the elixir, which is uh, the final step here, the hero returns with something to improve the ordinary world world. So uh, basically, for uh, Qui-Gon here is the hero of my story. He, uh, his elixir is the knowledge of knowing that Anakin will be trained as a Jedi, um, you know, and, uh, you know, he's able to to kind of move on and leave in that uh, kind of mentor role that uh, we've seen time and time uh, again over, you know, in the Star Wars films, you know, so Obi-Wan leaves Luke, Yoda leaves Luke, uh, Luke leaves Ray, And, you know, it all started here in the Phantom Menace um, with uh, Qui-Gon uh, leaving Anakin and, uh, you know, to his next, uh, next mentor, next uh, tutelage uh, sort of, sort of thing. So I, I view uh, the elixir as kind of the knowledge of Anakin is going to be uh, trained in the Jedi ways.
0: Yeah. Mine is Very similar to yours. Um, Return with the Elixir, step 12. I saw it as Naboo is free. Anakin is a Jedi and Obi-Wan is a knight. And uh, there's a happy parade. It kind of seems a little bit, you know, like the end of A New Hope. But if you really think about it, like, who do you think is the person that's, like, most happy at the end of uh, The Phantom Menace?
2: um well probably uh, chancellor uh, palpatine because uh, uh they're playing his theme at the, at the march so um uh, yeah. if if anyone didn't know that i think it's uh, pretty common knowledge within the within the star war star wars world but uh kind of that that uh, march is the and is the imperial march it's just uh sped up and and tuned up but it's the it's the same as the uh, the emperor's uh, theme there so um, yeah I think that ultimately uh, he's happy but everyone I mean looks very happy uh, Padme is, is smiling the Gunkans are smiling they have they have come to peace so I think you know to to finish up our first section other than <laughs> other than our hero Qui-Gon uh, and maybe he's happy too uh, looking down his little force orb or whatever he was still at that point but uh, yeah it's, it's a pretty happy ending with a darker backbone uh, to it for sure but uh, what do you think who do you think is the happiest here
0: yeah, for sure, Palpatine. He's now chancellor. Um someone has kinda like notified him of like this this young boy's like incredible force potential, you know. Uh and he's gonna be trained on Coruscant so he can kind of keep an eye on him and uh Obi Wan is made a a knight, but um he's kinda not like making the choice out of his own uh I guess volition or will. He's kind of doing it to fulfill something that was gonna be QuiGon's duty, you know? Mm-hmm. And the the Jedi are kind of like, oh, we're a little bit hesitant about this. And uh yeah, Ken's been separated from his mother, like like we said. And um yeah, like you're kind of just uneasy about it. You're like Padme's literally not mentioned that much what's going to happen to her. So, and you kind of know like things aren't going to go well in the prequel trilogy. It's going to be more of a tragedy, you know, but it'll be interesting to see how we get there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that is uh, that is where our story ends here is, the, is peace on Naboo and uh, things are going. But it's uh, about to be uh, going a little downhill uh, for our heroes when we get into uh Episode two, Attack of the Clones, but uh, that was the Phantom Menace. Uh, Cassio, we made it all the way through. We went through our uh, hero's journey steps. I think it's it's a lot of fun. You know, this is kind of a topic that we that we breach. You know. The, on the semi regular here on the podcast, because it's, it's a topic that is, you know, pretty interesting to both of us. And one of the neat things about this, and obviously, we just learned you and I uh, talking about this is the hero's journey is really kind of up to interpretation. Uh, so yeah. obviously, you know, if, if we would ask, you know, if George Lucas ever wanted to come on the podcast, we'd, uh, we'd love to have him, we could get his own <laughs> uh, hero's journey analysis of the Phantom Menace. But you know, uh, certainly, the way he wrote it and structured it is, you know, different than the way uh, you saw it, the way that I saw it. And, you know, people would see it and and interpret it. So that's that's kind of one of the neat things about storytelling. But, you know, it's all those basic uh, kind of stepping stones and structure of, you know, what storytelling is and has been and uh, you know, will always be, pretty much.
0: Yeah, like, sometimes maybe I can get a little, a bit, a little bit too evangelizing-y, that's a word.
1: Mm, about mm
0: -hmm, the hero's mm -hmm. journey, you know, and be like, no, it has to be this step, this step, this step, this archetype here, boom, boom, boom. But um, I think that's what's interesting is like, it's more of a pattern, you know, and sometimes it's interesting when you kind of tweak the rules, play with the rules or break the rules, you know, that's why people want to be surprised, you know. Um, And I was re-listening to our episode with Chris Vogler um, and that's that's what makes stories fun is kind of like uh, playing with it because they're meant to be fun, you know, and I don't know, I just grew up with the prequels and I love them and hopefully like maybe even if you're not a fan, like maybe you can kind of see them from a different point of view, so to speak.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Go back if you haven't watched it in a long time. It's it's definitely worth going back and rewatching Um it's it's not a Star Wars film that I've watched very recently. Um, I tried to get through them all, you know, at least a, a time or two a year. I'll just put something on. But I haven't I haven't went all the way back to uh, the Phantom Menace for uh, quite a while. So it was really fun getting back into it, um, it was a movie that came out. And, um, you know, basically was a it was, it was very joyous for me. I was born and and grew up with, with the original trilogy, but I was I was born a little bit, uh, later there. So I was kind of in that, in that dead zone of Star Wars time where he had, you know, uh, the books and, and video games and things, but no films. So the Phantom Menace was my first real Star Wars film of, you know, one that I could call my own to go to the movie theater and see, which I did, uh, seven times when it was out. I was, when I was in high school, um, wow. and then, you know, saw it, saw it in 3d and, and things. Uh, so yeah, so it was, it was perfect timing for me. I had, I had, <laughs> I had a little bit of pocket money. I had a car I could take myself uh, to the theater and, <laughs> uh, yeah it, it took over the world and uh permeated uh everything in a lot of different ways so yeah go back and uh give it a watch and let us know what you think about your own uh hero's journey or who you think the hero is or uh if we should have been uh talking about r2 as the hero for the whole thing because uh we we should have we were we missed the boat there for sure yeah
0: and if you haven't seen the documentary the prequel strike back uh i highly recommend it do you highly recommend it
2: I do highly recommend it. Absolutely. It's a, it's a really good watch and uh, makes a really good uh, case for, you know, why, uh, why you should uh, give the, give the prequels a chance for sure.
0: Yeah. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed our first, you know, plagiarized episode of the (laughs) hero's journey podcast. And uh, I'm so excited to talk about attack of the clones. Like I have my mocktail already planned for that so it's gonna be fun
2: absolutely yeah and a special shout out to the hero's journey uh podcast uh we really love them and and the podcast and and the work that we do and um we're uh, you know honored to have them on our show, so definitely go back and listen to that and give their podcast a listen. They they have this uh, down to a science. They could have made uh, made it through way better than us, but you know it, it wouldn't have been us doing it. So I don't know. <laughs> I guess I guess six of one, half a dozen of the other. But that is the that's the Phantom Menace. So uh, join us uh, next time, and we'll be uh, going through the hero's journey of Attack of the Clones.
0: Yeah, and may the force be with you.
2: May the force be with you.
0: Republic Podcasts can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else the Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out.
2: And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore.
0: You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Old Republic Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at Dennis S.
2: This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.